us. God hates that. And those who are going to perpetuate it, well, God's going to be opposed to them because they're opposed to him. Yeah. And here in Romans 1.18, what we've got on the screen here, I think that it's really important to remember. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against some ungodliness, yeah. <laughs> against ungodliness that I think is ungodly. You know, it, it says it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that's just really important to remember because as people, we all have things that bother us more than others. I think everybody would say that the wrath of God should be revealed on some people. Uh, right. Know, yeah. Or whatever. But when, or people that do bad to me, you know, yes. uh, oh, yeah. deserve God's wrath. but when we look at all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, we have to take into account that any sin, even if it's small to us, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all sin. And that's our problem. That's a really good point because it is so easy for us to draw the line between what's good and acceptable and what would deserve punishment is always somewhere past us. Yeah. You know, yeah. And if you're a really bad person, you can still say Hitler is worse. Yeah. And, right. uh, but that, that's, and that's, I think one of our problems we're comparing ourselves to ourselves. And so a lot of people can come out not smelling that badly as long as you're not the stinkiest skunk in the room. And, and even Hitler could have done that. <laughs> Hitler yeah. could have said, well, there's somebody worse than I am. <laughs> Larry, did you want to add in something? Yes. Yes. It's, when we think of even John 3.16, we can understand something about the wrath of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why was he needing to be given? Why was he not granted the prayer, let this cup pass from me? I recently spoke on the subject of the cross of Christ and the wrath of God. What we find is that there is a consequence of sin. And Jesus experienced that terrible ordeal on the cross because he wanted to spare us from a wrath that is so bad, it is unimaginable. We need to understand, we cannot understand the love of God until we understand the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus came to save the lost. And all of us were there in the sense when Jesus came. You're starting to get to the answer of the question of which um, Jim, before we even got started, gave an answer to the question. <laughs> What's the percentage of people um, that, that are going to go to heaven? Uh, I'm not going to give the answer Jim, Jim gave yet, but let's continue. See if other people will come in. And actually, it was not what percentage of people are going to go to heaven, but what percentage of people are good enough to go to heaven. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, in Ephesians chapter two, um, Paul is writing to Gentiles and he's talking about their condition apart from Christ. But then he includes also himself and the Jews. He says in verse three, among whom we also all once lived in the lust of the flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. When he says we, including himself, we were children of wrath. What he means is we were we are we were people subject to that wrath of God, that judgment, and Paul was in that category, needed to be saved from it. That reminds me of uh, Paul talking in Titus chapter three, where he says, "Remember that we also once were malice." 
sin is is everybody's problem. You guys ever noticed if you've ever been dealing with uh, prisoners, like studies in a prison environment, that prisoners manage to blame someone other than themselves. And they can always look and find somebody in that prison that is worse than them. And at the bottom, at the bottom of that uh, scale is the person who has hurt a child. And they all recognize that he is evil, but as it comes up, they, they uh, manage to justify themselves. Well, even Matthew seven, Jesus addresses the temptation for me to look at the, speck that's in your eye and miss the what the beam in my own Mm -hmm. so what is what is romans one telling us here let's uh as stephen pointed out it's all ungodliness and righteousness not just theirs not just his not just someone else's comments you know um again i think a lot a lot of us are going to tend to say well uh, yeah, all ungodliness, all unrighteousness, but I'm not really an ungodly person. I'm not really an unrighteous person. Might bring into the discussion the phrase that we read in Romans chapter 2 and verse 8, where that wrath of God is going to be revealed against those who do not obey the truth. You know, let's put it that way. How many of us uh, on our own are obedient to the truth? What does that mean? An audience, please come in with your questions, come in with your comments. We really would like to hear from you. Yeah, we. Uh, some people are uh, trying to use the chat window. I just want to remind everyone to use the Q&A uh, feature. That's at the top of the window. Just click on the Q&A and it'll bring up your question and answer box. Don't use the chat because we're not monitoring the chat window. I appreciate Let's it. proceed now down in our text. Verses 19 and 20, after saying that there is salvation available to all, then it says this, and it then refers to the wrath of God against all. We have this statement starting 19. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world and the things that are made, so they are without excuse. The context here is of the Gentiles who didn't have the law of Moses or the prophets. They've got no excuse. And Drew, could you comment on this? How how can you see something that's invisible? Well, that's that's the question I was going to ask. I find uh, Romans one uh, twenty very interesting. How is it possible to know some to know something? not just seeing it, but to know something that's invisible. And that's what Paul's saying right there. And he's talking clearly about perceiving it, understanding it. Understanding what? God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature. Well, how do we do that? Well, man can do that by observing this magnificent creation. Which Which just evolved by accident? No, exactly. (laughs) Look how magnificent it is. So, so now it makes sense to me that because man can observe the creation and know something about God, that he exists, there's no excuse for not knowing that he is. And the, but again, that's only part of the story. It doesn't explain the details on how to avoid God's wrath, but at least that tells us that we're not, we don't have any excuse for not knowing that he's here and what he intends by going, now we have to go somewhere else. And I think that's where we're heading now. Right. Well, and, and go I ahead, think, 
for Stephen. Here's a specific example. When sometimes when I'm talking with people about this verse, I, I try to call their attention to, to something like the sun. <laughs> something we experience every day. Uh, look at the sun. Uh, you can look at the sun, and it's not going to speak to you actual like, okay, the, the God of the Bible is the true God, and here's all the things he did in history. And it's not going to give you a lot of details. But you, if you just think about it for a little bit, you can look at the sun, and you can think, however that got here, it involved an incredible amount of power for it to get here. There's something that is more powerful that, that caused this to happen. And the other thing you can think of is there was no human that put that there. Of all the things that humans have been able to figure out and do, it was something above and beyond yeah. human power and human design that put that there. So his eternal power and his divine nature are clearly seen by the things that he's made. Even just the sun can teach us those things. David makes that exact point in the, in the 19th Psalm, using the sun to make the point. He starts out in the 19th Psalm in verse 1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. You can look in the heavens, the skies, and you can see God's glory evident. Day to day pours forth speech. Not that the stars and the sun are talking in words, but they're saying something. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. And then he's placed a great tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to, to, strong man to run his course. It's rising is from one end of the heavens and it's circuit to the other end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. So everybody sees the sun. It goes across the whole world and everybody sees that demonstration of power you're talking about. Is that where you were going, Larry? Yes. Uh, and the challenge we find with men is that they can reject it. The glory can be there. Anyone who really thinks very deeply can see there is design in this creation. There is a designer. But the problem we find in Romans 1 is that men didn't do that. There was the glory revealed, and they attributed that glory to idols, or they rejected it. it Psalms 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And when they do that, notice the next point of the verse, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that does good. And that's what we're really going to see here in Romans 1. Even though the potential of knowing God was there, men rejected that glory. You know, take us there, Larry, through verse 21 through 3 there in Romans 1, if you would. What you said a little bit, Scott. Hello? Yes, yeah, Scott, you were breaking up. What, what, what oh, did... sorry, sorry. So let, let's, uh, I was asking for somebody to read Romans 1. I'll, I'll go ahead and read this. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them in the lust of their flesh to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, Can you imagine that God gave them up and that's because they gave up on him 
And so they gave them up. He gave them up rather to go. If, if you take God out of your life, what are you going to end up doing? You're going to be doing what? Serving? Everything at the end of Romans 1, all that wickedness, exactly. doing what you want to do. is going to create all kind of conflict. Yeah. And, let's and take you a see a progression. That. You see a progression here. There's three times in Romans 1 where it says God gave them up. I do believe God gives us barriers to keep us away from evil. But if we reject him, we don't have the humility that we ought to have when we see the, the glory of God. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be humble, but we can reject that. And there is a terrible path downward. And I think our listeners would recognize things are wrong in this world. There are things that are occurring, evil, wickedness. How does that happen? Why does that happen? I believe Romans 1 addresses this. I like, when, I'm, when I'm studying with someone and studying about salvation, I like to start in Genesis 1. And you have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then show them the last there where it says God looked at everything he made and it was what? Good. good. Yeah, very good. And I said, so there were people there on earth, Adam and Eve. He looks at creation with man and woman and it's very good. Good. And then I ask the question, when God looks down today, do you think he says, very good? I've never had anybody there to say yes. Back up on on your slide there. Back up and catch verse 21 again. Um, One slide back. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. If we can go one slide back. Well... I'll read it here from uh, from my Bible. It said, because that knowing God, they glorified him not as God, neither gave thanks and so on. Have you ever thought much about that phrase, knowing God, that, that he, he acknowledges man knew God in some sense? Have you ever thought much about that? I'm not sure what to make of that, but I'll just throw this idea out that that the very fact that mankind in general has if they didn't worship the true God, they worship the creature rather than the creator. They turn to some kind of idol or idolatry. There's an implicit acknowledgement that there's something out there that I don't control, uh, something out there to which I can attribute things. The irony is that man doesn't want to be subject to whatever's out there and follow the rules of whatever's out there. He wants to do what he wants to do. So he convinces himself that what's out there is this inanimate object or this representation of a cow or whatever. And then he can impose his own values on that. And he can do what he wants to do and tell himself he's serving the God that's out there, which is just contrary to the very idea. There's something out there greater than I am. Sounds sounds like you're answering our original question on a topic. What's our problem? The problem is us in general, mankind. And the problem is that every one of us has sinned, and in as much as we have sinned, you you think about what Adam and Eve got expelled from the Garden of Eden for. Here, God drove them out of the garden, is what it says in Genesis chapter 3. You think of Jesus driving the the money changers out of the temple. That, That brings up a rather violent picture. And so what's the picture there? God was was he's visiting wrath upon them, you could say. Why? What did they do? They ate some fruit they weren't supposed to eat. Have we done worse than that? 
And so now we start coming back to that question. And Drew, you've got somebody who's answered the question in the Q&A. Yeah, let, what let, percentage of people are good enough to go to heaven? Yeah, let, let me address this. There's the, the question. The answers are coming in. Jim started off with zero. And then he also added the point that none of us is good enough for heaven. That's that's the point. Um, uh, Dean also uh, came in with zero. And he said the same thing that you just said, Jeff, that uh, because we all have sin. 323 mm -hmm. Romans 323. Yeah. Um yeah, that's that's the bottom line for that. Um so then we get back to the the passage we started with there's a salvation uh that's available salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. <clears throat> that's cuz everyone is in need of that salvation. Every one of us has sinned and we need to be saved from this wrath of God that is going to be visited upon those who do not subject to the will of God. Yeah. I think a key point as we're thinking about ourselves realizing our own sin and helping other people to realize their sin is there in verse 22 where it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And humility is critical to realize that I don't know what God is like until God shows me or tells me what he is like. And that's the advantage of idolatry, isn't it? Is the, the hunk of wood, the statue represents something right. powerful. Right. It doesn't tell me what it's like. I get to decide. Right. What it right. I, I can tell myself I'm serving some God, but I'm really serving myself. Exactly. And that's the temptation for all of us, though. I mean, how many people have you talked with who you start to tell them about the God of the Bible? You start to show them from Scripture. Well, this is what God said about himself and say, well, I just couldn't believe in a God who would. You fill in the blank. Right. And what happens there is we claim to be wiser than God. Well, well God would never do that. My God would never do something. Well, you can create a God like that, but it's not a God who can save you. And it really is making God by my standard. God would never do that because I wouldn't do that. I don't think he should do that. So obviously God wouldn't because, well, I'm the standard. Yeah. And one of the things that you see in the God giving them up, there's three times that occurs in the passage. And the last one is he gives them up to a debased mind. And you can be a brilliant person. You can have great reasoning skills. But when you begin to give yourself over to the various things here, the lust, the bitterness, the the animosity, you can lose your ability to reason and think straight. And that's why we need help from God. We need humility. How many brilliant people have you seen go down paths and you kind of scratch your head? What were they thinking? Well, that's just the nature of sin. Sin can take your mind away mm -hmm. if you let it. Are you about to need to put your uh, microphone back on? Well, so we get to verse 26, and this is the, the passage that you were referring to there, Larry. This translation that he has on screen says it a little bit differently, but it's just different uh, words. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. How did you quote it? Debased mind, I think, or something? Debased His mind. is yeah, a little you, bit you farther can't. down in the text. They're both there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Verse 28. Let's go, ahead and, 28. let's go ahead and read through the rest of Romans 1. But I had a coffin fit a moment ago, so I'll advance the slides, and one of you please read it. And let's just read to the end of the text. Go ahead, somebody. I'll be happy to read that. Do you want to start in verse 26? Yes. yes. Okay. For this reason, 
God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. A couple of things come to mind here. One is that a lot of people think today, they say, how can a a book that's 2,000 years old be relevant in today's world? You know, we're in the 21st century, we have high tech, it's the computer age. And it's just really interesting, I think, to think about what has technology done for us? What has technology done for us and what has technology not been able to do for us? What are some examples of what technology does do? Well, we can have this broadcast where we can be each sitting where we are in different geographical locations and still see each other. And we got a bunch of people who can see us. Yeah. What are so, and then and it's, I mean, we can go to the moon, we can, we can fax things, we can use electronic microscopes, uh, we can address cancer, talk. we can, yeah. Yeah. But when we look at this list of sins, how many of these things has technology solved the problem of envy? Murder. Yeah, so you broke Gosh. up there. So say that again, Scott. Your voice was not coming through there. Say that. Ask that question again. How many of these problems here in Romans 1 have been solved by technology? Has technology solved the problem of covetousness, envy, murder, strife, maliciousness, gossips, uh, haters of God, disobedient to parents, heartless, ruthless? Let's just take a couple of those real quickly. Maliciousness, strife, slanderers. You know, we have the Internet and we think that's great. And what's all over the Internet? You get in the comments on some kind of news article or whether it's politics or whatever. Oh, we don't expect to see any maliciousness, strife or or uh, uh, anything like that there because of all our technology. Right. (laughs) That's that's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. All of that stuff. Yeah. So the technology is giving us an opportunity to even do more evil. Yeah. On a broader scale. More you know, in biblical times, I could have stolen your donkey. Now I can steal your identity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. In, in biblical times, they'd commit adultery. Now you can find a website that'll hook up with people that also want to commit adultery. Yeah, yeah. So and our you- problem, our problem hasn't changed. And, and technology, technology sure hasn't fixed it. Our technology can be used for good or so often is a huge percentage of all internet downloads are for, for, all, for all the advancement in technology. We are the loneliest generation that's probably ever existed in this country, according to statistics. 
We that, don't know how to deal with one another. We don't know how to deal with ourselves. And that's why we must go back to God. For all the prosperity we have, we're probably never been more miserable. And, and in that, one of the things we have to admit is the problem of our sin. Um, it was either J.R. Stott or C.S. Lewis, one of you may remember, if you remember the quote I'm about to give. But in one of them, either, uh, not sure which book, but he said, we're happy to go to church and on a theological level admit, you know, that we're miserable sinners. But if we go out on the street and someone tells us you're a miserable sinner, we want to punch them in the face. Uh, you know, we need to realize that sin is a problem and it's a problem for everyone. And there needs to be 2 Corinthians 7. Before we get forgiveness, there needs to be repentance. Before repentance, there has to be what kind of sorrow? Godly sorrow. And as long as we're excusing and justifying and minimizing our sin as, well, nobody's perfect. I'm only human. human. Not, we're not taking seriously our sin. And just to clarify for our listeners who may not know, have heard of godly sorrow before, there's an important distinction made in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, and we won't take time to look in that whole passage today. But to sum it up, godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Uh, worldly sorrow is sorry because they got caught. They're sorry because of the consequences that they have to face. But godly sorrow is a sorrow that recognizes God, honors God as God, and says, I, I've sinned against you. I, it's not just because I'm suffering that I'm sad. It's because I've sinned against God who gives good rules. And when we have that humility, it kind of goes back to what we talked about back in uh, verse 21 of Romans 1. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. When we have that humility before God, we will feel a godly sorrow that, wow, I, I have broken the good law of the one who gave me life and gives me breath and family and every good thing I have is from him. And that's a very different kind of sorrow than a lot of times the sorrow that we feel or we see in other people. And it's the kind of sorrow that we ought to feel as we read Romans 1 and realize this is not just out there. This isn't in here, this is in my own heart sometimes. Yeah. The list in there. verse 29 and 30 is, it includes some things that everybody would agree are terrible. Murder, you know, but then gossip, disobedient to parents. Uh, all of us have participated in this problem. As we, can, as we consider the sins and the personal consequences, the one thing we need is God. And that's what we're talking about as we talk about this passage. It's not talking about all these things and you can become perfect. No, it's talking about these things because there's good news. Mm -hmm. The gospel, the good news is, is will be a way for us to be right with God. Then we will be forgiven. We will have a God who will help us. We will have a path in which now the creator of the universe will be our father and will provide and there's a lot of folks today, they understand the wounds of sin, the scars of sin. There's a God who can heal you, who can provide for you. And really, we want you to understand, as bad as the bad news is, trusting our God, he can provide a way back to him. Exactly. Uh, in fact, Cassandra also 
made a comment saying that the Luke 18, 19 says, no one is good except God alone. And uh, unless we actively seek to know and obey him, we have no hope. It's only found, of course, as you had mentioned, Larry, uh, in the gospel of Christ. And there was another comment earlier, uh, and this ties in with the idea of humility as we think, well, I just couldn't believe in a God who would do this or do that. Uh, Emma uh, commented about thinking about Job 38 and God revealing himself to Job. And God asks Job some questions. And Job was questioning God. And he says, you know, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And he, he goes on with these rhetorical questions. And we need to just realize, and Romans 1 should help us realize, that we're coming into the presence of the God who made everything. And he is not accountable to me. I am accountable to him. Now, if if I can go back to Psalm 19 for a moment, um, you know, Paul is making the argument in Romans chapter 1 that nobody's without, nobody has an excuse um, because God has revealed himself he has demonstrated that he exists by virtue of his creation. We can look out there. You use the example of a, of a son, Stephen. David, the psalmist, used the example of the son. I often think of a tree. Uh, for all of our techno- technological might, we cannot make a tree. We can make a cell tower that sort of looks like a tree, but it's not going <laughs> to produce seeds that are going to reproduce itself you know we cannot make a living tree that's going to reproduce itself well there are all kinds of examples we could use in the 19th psalm after spending the first six verses talking about god's demonstration of his power in his creation you can look at his creation and see that god exists but you're not going to learn about god's plan to save you from wrath you're not going to learn about what it is that that it constitutes sin or what what fix there is to sin. You're not going to learn about salvation. And the, the psalmist goes on, David does in the 19th Psalm, and he begins to talk about God's communication to man in words, his law, his precepts. Uh, these things, he ends up saying, are what warn us. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So, so now what Paul does in the book of Romans is he communicates to us that message of salvation, where it is that it's in Jesus Christ. And th- those who are going to be saved are not those who are good enough to deserve heaven. None of us are. But it's those who listen to the word of God, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and respond to it. Another very important thing about our God is he loves us. Well, you may be here and listening to this program say, yeah, I know life's messed up. In my own life, there's burdens. Does God care? And that's where the gospel is so powerful. Romans 5 talks about how God loved us when we were yet enemies. We read about how Jesus and the dying on the cross, such a brutal death. It's God's demonstration to us of how much he loves us. I can remember as a high school student years ago not really attending church, not really knowing God, and realizing my life was not what it ought to be. I remember one night going outside and seeing the creation and being so humbled by it and just praying this simple prayer. God, if you're there, I want to know. And in time, as I began to consider that, consider my emptiness, I began to read the scriptures for the first time in my life for me, 
And from there, I was able to understand more about this beautiful plan for God to save us, heal us, and take care of us. Amen to that. The way you put it earlier, talking about the bad news and the good news. Uh, you remember the rich young ruler that came up to Jesus? We know from Mark 10, it said that he ran to Jesus. He fell down, down on his knees in front of Jesus. He asked, what good thing, you know, can, can I do? And if you're, you know, the Galilean fisherman, as you're looking at this guy and listening to him, he might look like the, you know, uber disciple. You know, they didn't come running to Jesus, begging to be told something to do. And this fellow, even though he's rich, young, and a ruler, he's down on his knees asking what to do. And at one point, Jesus says to him, there's one thing you lack. And for a lot of people that might think, oh, I'm good enough because I've done a lot of good things and I don't have that many faults. You know, to have Jesus say, there's one thing you lack, it's tempting to think, wow, you got it made. You know, that's great. But Jesus, it's not, hey, it's just one thing, don't worry about it. No, there's one thing he lacked. He put his money in front of God and he said, there's no way he's going to go into King Pepper. And I'm about to cough again, so somebody pick up with that and touch on the idea of good news and bad news. Yeah, I want to, I want to kick, I want to bounce off of what the liar was just saying because Cassandra came in with a comment uh, relating to that. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ, right? Romans ten seventeen. We started early on in the beginning of this discussion that man is without excuse because he can know that God exists. He's revealed himself through his creation. And one of us made the comment, but that's not the whole story. He revealed us through his creation so we could know he's there, but it's his word where we can know the rest and the whole story. And, and um, Cassandra brought that point out. Faith comes from hearing. And what is it we got to hear? The story of Christ, his word. And one of the so things we, that Paul is go ahead, Jeff. One thing Paul's addressing in Romans is the Jewish idea that, that, that prevailed amongst many of the Jews is because they were Jews, because they were circumcised, because they had the law of Moses. Well, they had all they needed. They could be saved. And Paul demonstrates in, in the book of Romans that, uh, no, actually, uh, the Jews were doing the same things wrong that we read in Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 25 or 26 and following. The Jews were doing those same things. And that the law didn't fix that problem. Right. But then he says in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So there was the Old Testament law and the Old Testament prophets, and they in and of themselves did not provide the fix to our problem. They didn't take away our sin, but they testified, they witnessed of the coming salvation in Jesus Christ, which then gets discussed at length in the book of Romans. Yes. And coming back to this rich young ruler, sorry, I had to jump out from him for a minute, but uh, after he went away and Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a man like that to get in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember the disciples' questions? They were amazed who then can be saved and said, then who can be saved? Yeah. Because, you know, from, from a human perspective, that guy looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. If he can't make it, who can? Right. Uh, I, I've compared it to uh, at Hershey Park up here. There's a thing that says whether or not you're tall enough to get on the ride. 
Okay, I'm six foot six. <laughs> if I walk up to get on a ride and the park attendant says, I'm sorry, you're not tall enough to get on the ride, the people behind me are going to say, who can? Yeah, who can? <laughs> and Jesus's answer is, and here's that bad news, with men, this is impossible. Right. Which goes back to the answer to our question that we asked. Who's good enough? Nobody. Because we've sinned. And then the good news that Larry was pointing us to before, with men it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Larry's trying to get in with a comment. Yeah, one of the things I needed to learn, I used to have, I call the good old boy concept of going to heaven. You had your good works outweigh your bad works, and then you go into heaven because you're a good old boy. No, that's not the message of the gospel. All have sinned, and every one of us need the blood of Christ. Yeah. When we think about this idea of the good news and the bad news, I think just thinking of sin as cancer is a powerful analogy. It's not a biblical one per se, but we do see Jesus healing people of sicknesses and comparing that to sin. Is doctors could tell you all day long, hey, we've got this amazing cure. It's a painful process, but it will get rid of cancer. And and you could hear that all day long and say, that's great. I'm so glad that you know there's a way to cure cancer. And it's not until you hear those words, you have cancer that you suddenly start to realize, wait a minute, like, I got to, I got to listen to that treatment again. How do we, how do we deal with this? It suddenly becomes relevant. We can hear about it in other people. We can see it on the news. We can see it in the world. But until we realize that we have been diagnosed with this soul killing disease of sin, we're not going to appreciate the good news of Jesus. And when we realize just how lost we are and just we're separated from God, we are doomed to eternity without God. Then we are ready to hear, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, because it's the power of God for salvation. And you might say it's the power of God for the cure is the idea. I can be healed. It can be gone. Uh, I can be rid of this disease. And thank God that, that he tells us that we're sick. But he has also provided in his son the cure. We uh, last minute or so here, could somebody comment on this idea? It's not only forgiveness, but a deliverance from bondage. Like the Egyptians were in bondage and then they were delivered. And we see kind of that idea in Romans 6. Anybody have any comment on that? Yeah, I'm, I just to turn over to John chapter 8 real quickly, where Jesus talks about the truth shall make you free. And the Jews didn't think, think they needed to be made free. And Jesus says in verse 35, uh, verse 36, no, it's verse 34, John 8, 34, everyone that commits sin is the bond servant of sin, the slave of sin. I always picture it as a ball and chain. That sin is chained to me, and when I get to the bed judgment, it's going to be stuck to me. However much good I've done, that sin is still stuck to me. And I'm a slave of it, I'm a prisoner to it, and I can't escape from it except in Jesus Christ. John 10, 10 says, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Yeah, we... Uh... We do have a, about a minute and a half left or so, but I do want to get through some of these comments because a couple, number of people came in. Get them in quick. I'm looking at 30 seconds, Drew. Yeah, well, uh, 
we already mentioned Jim came up with the answer, but Dean also came in close to Jim's timing on that. Zero percent of us are good enough to go ahead because we all sent is that's what we're talking about here. Uh, John just brought in a, a thing. It's interesting that the second half of Romans ten seventeen says that hearing comes from the word of God. This seems to indicate that hearing in this sense is more of an understanding than a simple audible or visual hearing. Um, good comments. And, I, and, I, and I, I want people to constantly give us more questions and comments. And let me just make one other thing too off, off of the subject, but then we can close up there with Jeff. I think you had one more comment. I want to let everyone know who are all of you in the audience that if you have more questions or thoughts or want to hear, uh, uh, suggest topics that we can be talking about, go to the website, biblequest.org and scroll down to the bottom. And just type in your questions, comments, and suggestions. We'd love to hear from you all there. Uh, Jeff, were you going to say something else? No. I think uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, everybody. Well, listen, I thank everybody. In the world, not out of the world. All right. Well, thank you, all of you, and thank all of you in the the audience. Um, Come back again. We'll see you next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Thanks a lot. Bye.